We are grateful, Father, for the privilege of being together to study your word. And we pray for your spirit to guide and to direct us in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you notice the title of the seminar, is called God's Order. Okay. Which means then that God has systems. He has what? Systems. God is a God of order. And everything he does has a a calculated order that leads always to something. Everything that God does, he uh, has a defined course, a standard, a direction. Come right in. And so he does the same thing with the scriptures. The Bible God has given to us uh, actually has a, a... what we call an implied system. What do I mean by implied? Hmm? It's not obvious, okay? Uh, Subaddition. Have you heard that word before? Subaddition. Are you acquainted with that word? Subaddition simply means that it is there, but not overtly stated. It is what? So it is there, but not overly stated. So it's easy to miss it. It's easy to what? To miss it. Okay. For example, I'll give you just one simple example. God says, the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. All right. Which day? Seventh day. In that statement, there is sub-additional language. Or implied language. And the implied language is that there's no other day but the seventh day. Okay? In other words, God did not have to say, don't worship the first day, don't worship the second day, don't worship the third day, don't worship the fourth day. He just simply had to say, worship on the seventh day. And by that, it eliminates any other day for worship. That's called sub-additional language. Or implied. So when he says, he made the earth in how many days? By stating that he made the the earth in six days and rested the seventh, he implies that no other time can be considered for creation except what he stated as the time of creation. Does that make sense? Okay. So in the scriptures, there is sub-audition language or implied language. In Spanish we say por sentado. What does that mean? <laughs> it means to, it, take it for granted. It means what? Take it for granted. Does that make sense to you? Now, the Bible, uh, the, the, what I'm going to be doing this week is I'm going to spend time with you actually dealing with uh, the, the Bible. But I'm going to deal with the Bible from Eden to Eden. Jesus made a statement. Jesus says that he is the first and the last. The, last. the Alpha and the Omega. That means then that you should be able to find Jesus in the first and in the last. And everywhere in between in the scriptures. Is that true? But most of the time, we have difficulty finding Jesus in the Old Testament. We find Jesus in the New Testament. You say, where do you find Jesus in the Old Testament? Well, 
uh, if you have your Bibles, and I trust you do, just uh, open to the first chapter, the first verse, the first book of the Bible. Which one? And I can't cheat for you because I can't see another Bible around here. Okay. Uh, so, notice it says, in the beginning, who? God. God. God created the heavens and the earth. Okay. So it says, in the beginning. Do you see that? Now go to John 1.1. 1, 1. John 1.1. 1, 1. And it says, how does it start also? In the beginning. Are those the same three words? And the fact that it's, it says in the beginning may imply, may what? May imply that it's referring to the first three words of the Bible in the beginning. And the way we know that the implication is correct is if you read the rest of the verse, and it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Word was God, right? The same was in the beginning with God. I'm quoting, am I quoting correctly? Okay. Then it says, how many things? All, All things were what? Made. made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. Correct? Okay. Yes? And what does verse 9 say? Somebody read it for me. Okay, he was the true light. Correct? Then verse 10, what does it say? He was in the world, the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. Ah, he was in the world, and the world was? Made by him, and the world knew him not. So, who is there in the beginning then? Jesus. So, he's in the first verse, the first chapter, the first book of the Bible. Now, he's in the first verse, the first chapter, the first book of the New Testament. Matthew chapter 1, 1. What does it say? Matthew chapter 1 and verse 1. The book of the generation of? Jesus Christ. So it starts out with Jesus. So the New Testament begins with Jesus. The Old Testament begins with Jesus. What about the last verse of the book of the Bible? The last book, the last chapter, and the last verse. What does it say? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. So the Bible begins with Jesus, and the Bible ends with Jesus. And therefore, you should be able to find Jesus throughout the entire Bible. What do you say? Does that make sense to you? Yes. Now, I do have a little book. I don't know if they have it at the ABC. Uh, the angel who is Jesus. The what? The angel who is Jesus. I wrote that little book because I discovered that a lot of people have doubts and questions about whether Jesus was in the Old Testament. And if you read that little book, you'll see that Jesus is found appearing as an angel throughout the Old Testament. Okay, the angel who? Jesus, you can check with them. All right. Now, the, the scripture then, since we are dealing from beginning to, to, the, to the new beginning, uh, we should be able then to find Christ as a center of each subject. Of what? Each subject. Every doctrine that we have, Christ should be the center. Who? Christ should be the center. The challenge is that most of the time when we give Bible study, we have a tendency to focus on proof text to prove a particular point. The purpose of Bible studies is to lead people to Christ. To what? So every, every doctrine then that we present should have Christ as the center. 
I said should. Right? The challenge is that most of the time, if we're focusing on the Sabbath, we're trying to make sure that we can hammer down the fact that the seventh day is the Sabbath. Missing the mark. Hmm? Missing the mark. Well, we're missing, we're missing Jesus, not the mark. <laughs> but I understand what you're saying. <laughs> okay. All right. Missing the mark. All right. So, um, the Bible basically is the, the plan of restoration or the plan of salvation. Some others call it the great controversy. Okay. So, the Bible is to teach us how to get from our first beginning to our new beginning. In other words, the scripture starts with a, with a new beginning, correct, which we call the beginning, and it ends with a new beginning, which we call the new beginning. But in reality, both were new beginnings. It's just that when we compare the first beginning to the last beginning, we need to make a, a kind of a difference so that we're clear. So we say the beginning and the new beginning. Okay. So the, the scripture then, in the first two chapters of the Bible and the last two chapters of the Bible are basically mirror image of each other. Perhaps you hadn't noticed that. But let's look at it. We know that in the beginning, in when? In the beginning, there was a face-to-face -face, uh, communion between God and man. Is that true? Yes. We know that there was a perfect home. Is that true? Yes. We also know that in the new beginning, in the beginning, there was a perfect diet, harmonious human relationships. There was eternal life because nobody was destined to die at that time. And the animal kingdom at, at peace. There are more things that we can put in that list. But just those simple facts are there in the beginning. You find them in Genesis 1 and 2. Is that true? Yeah. Then if you go to the new beginning, you find the same thing. You find a face-to-face -face communion between God and man. In fact, the Bible says in Revelation chapter 22, and they shall see his face. Okay. Like the old hymn says, and we shall see him face to face. All right? So, then there's a, a perfect home as a new beginning. Is that true? Yes. And, of course, there's a perfect diet in the beginning. Is that true? Yes or no? Yes. yes. Then, of course, there's the harmonious human relationship reestablished. Is that true? Yes. And, of course, there's eternal life. So we find the first two chapters and the last two chapters of the Bible mirror images, which means then that this is what God intended, but it was lost. And Christ came to reestablish what was lost. And that's why you have a beginning and a new beginning rather than a beginning and an end. Because God, even though it appears like he lost the battle, the reality is that he will ultimately win. All right? So there's a beginning and a new beginning. That means then that in the scriptures, 
we should be able to find a, a thread of gold all the way through from the beginning to the new beginning with every doctrine. We should be able to trace every teaching that we have throughout the entire Bible. I'm making some statements here and I'm waiting for some challenge. No challenge, yeah. Not challenge, okay. So that means then that if I'm a Bible student, I should be able to trace all of the teaching that we have, the diet, the Sabbath, state of the dead, uh, Christian adornment, um, all of those teachings, we should be able to find them from the beginning and trace them all the way through the Bible to the new beginning. And here's what I've discovered. When you do this, then any doctrine that cannot be traced from Eden to Eden, there's something wrong with it. Hmm? Okay. So, yeah, so everything must be able to be Proven in the Bible, but from the beginning through to the new beginning. Okay? That's correct. Genesis through Revelation. That's why God gave us an entire Bible. He didn't give us one book in, 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 in reference in the sense that he didn't just give us the book of Exodus or he didn't give us the book of John. He gave us the Bible, which, is, which includes all of those books which are God's counsel to his children uh, throughout the ages. So let me just uh, illustrate to you or demonstrate to you what I'm talking about uh, in just charting. In what? In charting a particular doctrine uh, from the beginning to the new beginning. And I think that we can start with the word. With what? With the word. We know that in the, in the beginning, as we stated, uh, God was with man, and God spoke with man. Is that true? And there are several verses there in, the, in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 where it says specifically that God spoke to Adam. Is that true? For example, he said to Adam, before there was an Eve, he said to Adam, you shall not go to the tree of knowledge and good and evil and partake of the fruit. Okay? So it specifies that God actually did talk to Adam. All right? And obviously Eve got to know about that. Uh, obviously from Adam because God had only spoken that to Adam. I don't know if you noticed that or not. Yes or no? Just think about it. Just think about it. Before Eve was created, before Eve was, was created, okay? And by the way, I'm not trying to get into women and men, etc. But I'm just dealing with uh, particular uh, chronological sequences in the Bible because that's what we're going to be doing. What are we doing? We're going to do a chronological sequence in the scriptures of different things. So, chronologically speaking, God made man first. Is that true? Okay. And it was to man in, John, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and on, that he says to him, 
This is the food you will eat, and this is the animal's food. Verse 31 and, uh, 29 and 30, correct? In Genesis chapter 1. But he also said here they put man in the garden, correct? Then in chapter 2, he, t he tells man uh, not to eat of the tree of life, and also he tells Adam that he's supposed to take care of the garden. And then he tells him that he needs to name the animals. So all this has taken place before Eve was around. Is that true? Yes. Am I making it up or is that true? No. Yeah. So this is, this is chrono chronological sequence in the scriptures. Then it says that Adam realized that he was the only one that didn't have a mate. After all of this counsel and all of this interaction with God, he realizes, you know, everything else has a partner and I don't have a partner. So then the Bible says that God put Adam into a deep sleep, opened the side thereof, Doc, he did anesthesia on Adam. Yeah, then, then what? Then he they made an incision. Yes. Then he extracted, correct? I'm using medical terms here. Uh, <laughs> then he extracted, right, the bone, and then he sutured. It says he closed the side thereof, all right? That's the first surgery and the first anesthesia ever recorded in history. Did you know that? And where is that found? It is found in the Bible. Where? In the Bible, okay. So, well, not only a, no, not only a first transplant, it was the first clone. All right. If we're going to use that term, it would be the first clone, okay. Because from the bone, the Lord made an Eve. Okay. So, obviously, that was an, an, something that was ab available uh, right from the beginning. But man did not understand how to do that. In fact, in those days, the way people killed each other was by opening them up. Right? So when they read those scriptures, they couldn't understand it. Because, you know, you want to kill somebody, you take a knife and open them up. Right? You cut them up. You understand? And it says here that God opened him up. So how did Adam live if he got opened up? So for the people, it was... Uh, an enigma, right? And it's not until modern science that we discover that it is true. You can open somebody up, you can take out an organ. I have two, two cousins who are organ transplant surgeons. So I asked John one time, I said, John, tell me something. How difficult is it for you to take an organ out and put one in? He said, very simple. You take one out and you put one in. <laughs> well, I knew it was not that simple because I've, I studied a little medicine when I was in the Army. Anyway. So, chronologically speaking, we should be able to follow uh, through the word, all right? So, in the beginning, God is speaking to man. In the new beginning, we find that God also communes with man face to face. So, obviously, something happened after the beginning. After Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, something took place to that face-to-face -face communion between man and God. And we know what that is, correct? We know that... that uh, the first to face communion, you can see it there in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, and chapter 2, verse 15 through 17. We find the same thing in the, in the New Testament, in Genesis 21, verse 3, and 22, verse 4. God then speaks to man face to face, all right? So, if that's the case, then, we know that God's ultimate will for you and for me is for he and I 
and you and him to speak face to face. His ultimate desire is that face to face communion. Correct? I mean, there's nothing more than uh, my, my uh, grandkids just drove. They live in Vermont and they don't have a real camp meeting up there. So they decided to join grandpa here, but they came ahead of me. And uh, so my daughter has five kids and it's always a joy. Come right in. It's always a joy to meet up with my grandkids. This one is my, uh, my buddy. And, and what am I to you? You're my grandpa. <laughs> anyway, it's a joy to always be with them and to play with them and to interconnect inter, uh, with them and all that. So the thing that God wants is not distance, but closeness. He wants to be with his children. Now, that is the communion. However, when sin came in, it interrupted. It what? It interrupted the face-to-face communion. The communication that was necessary before sin became even more necessary after sin. If man needed counsel to begin with, you can hold that on. If man needed counsel to begin with, without sin, how much more does man need God's counsel after sin? And so, we, we know then that sin separated between man and God, but God would not have it that he could not communicate with man. So God had to devise a way by which he can still communicate with man, even though sin brought a separation. I'm grateful for that. What do you say? And so, he spoke to Adam. And uh, then he spoke to, to Seth. And by the way, it's interesting that God began to give communication to man, and man began to pass on the communication that God gave. So, when Adam and Eve had Seth, pardon me, had Cain and Abel, if you read, turn to Genesis 4, verse 25, so you see what I'm saying. If you read this, these two verses, you will see then that Adam and Eve expected one of those boys to be the Messiah. To be the what? Messiah. But when they saw the attitude of Cain, then uh, they suspected that it was not Cain, the oldest one to be the Messiah, but the younger one, Abel. But when Abel was killed, then their, their hopes were dashed until there was a Seth. And if you read uh, verse 25 and 26, can somebody read it for us? For, she said, God has appointed me another offspring to place in place of Abel, for Cain killed him. And to Seth, to him also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. Then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. Okay. So, what did he say? God has given me another what? Offspring. Offspring or another seed. You see, the problem with that translation is that it doesn't really carry the, the real juicy message because in Genesis 3.15 there was a promise of the seed. seed, Okay? That through the seed the Savior would come. Correct? So in uh, the King James it bears out that Eve says God has given me another seed instead of Abel. Another what? Seed. Somebody have the King James Version? 
Do you have King James Version? Yes. All right. I'm quoting it, but I'll let them read it just for to... God's, for God said she has appointed me another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. Okay. Another seed. seed. Huh? I'm glad it does. All right. So the, the idea was this, that once God promised that the Messiah would come from the seed of the woman, they were looking for the Messiah immediately. So God communicated the, the promise through Adam. Adam then gave it to the kids. And unfortunately, Abel was following it, but he was killed. And Seth was disqualified because he demonstrated a different spirit. And so it looked like the, the hope of Adam and Eve was dashed until they had another boy. And then it says that through Seth, man began to call upon the name of the Lord. All right? So the, the, the plan of salvation that was revealed in Genesis was passed on then by word of mouth. From father to son to son to son to son. Okay? So we see then that from Seth who men began to call upon the name of the Lord, to Enoch, and we go through to Noah. So we know then that these men uh, understood the, the problem that existed and the promise that was given, but they understood it simply by Faith. word of mouth. By what? Faith in the word. Faith in the word, that's correct, but... It came by word of mouth, okay? So, in the beginning, there was verbal communication. What kind? Verbal, verbal communication. Now, for those of you and, and myself that are getting to be a little gray-headed, we recognize then that it is not as easy to retain all that we'd like to retain. Is that true? Some of you are smiling. Huh? Because of sin. Well, because of sin. Well, you... What? study was that you know the effects of sin didn't take that toll them so so when they remembered things it was passed down literally like science right you said it identical i would repeat it identical you know in, in verbal that, communication. that's correct and what happened however was that sin deteriorated the the ability of mankind so he could no longer retain perfectly what god had given from the beginning and today we know and it's, it's interesting. I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, in the public school system. Mm -hmm. And I remember uh, a little practice that the teacher did with us in having somebody whisper something in somebody's ear and passing it along, 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 along until the 10th person. And then the 10th person said what the first person was supposed to have said. It turned out to be different. How many of you had that uh, uh, pra uh, practice? Okay. It's interesting that that... I don't know where you grew up, but everybody does the same thing. But to show then that, that the ability to retain perfectly has been lost. Has been what? Has been lost, okay? So, God was given to mankind verbal communication. He, it was being passed on from father to son to son to son, okay? Now, we know that Abraham knew God's counsel because Abraham knew Noah. If you look at, study the history, you'll see that Noah was still alive when, when Abraham was a young man. So if Abraham needed to know something about what happened in the beginning, he could have gone directly to whom? To Noah. 
Okay. So, all the information that could have been had was available. However, it began to deteriorate. And we know that Abraham knew the counsels of God because it says here in, in chapter 26 of Genesis, verse 5, that Abraham kept my what? I'm going to... Genesis 26, verse 5. Abraham, what did he do? He obeyed my... And did what? And kept my... my all right. So where did Abraham get the information of law, statutes, and judgments? Hmm? It was passed down. It was what? It was passed down. Because now we discover something interesting. Now we're discovering that God would select some selected people that he could entrust his counsel to that they could give it to other people. So we find then that there's a there's a Seth, correct? And we find then that there's an Enoch. And we find there's a Methuselah. And we find there's a Noah, okay? And Noah passed it on to his sons, correct? Yes or no? And the same thing that happened in the beginning happened right after the flood. One of the boys went a different direction. His wires got crossed. But the other two boys kept the information. They passed it on. And so when it comes to Abraham, even though the law had not been written, even though uh, Sinai had not taken place yet, yet it says very plainly that Abraham was acquainted with the laws, the commandments of statutes and God's judgment. Do you see that? Yes. All right. Now, this is all by word of mouth. But the time came when God had to do something different. With Joseph, God gave Joseph dreams. He gave what? Dreams. And Joseph then understood also the difference between right and wrong because when he was tempted by part of his wife to do what was wrong, he didn't say, how can I do this thing against your husband? He said, how can I commit this sin against who? Against God. So it was very clear to Joseph that God had given specific counsel for them to follow. And when Joseph chose to follow the counsel, he suffered the consequences. But ultimately, God then restored him to a high position. All right? So all of this is being passed on by verbal communication. But then, after 2,600 years of verbal communication, God had to add to man's knowledge. So God added counsel in written form. In what? In written form, exactly. So God chose a man named Moses. And it's interesting that when you consider Moses, uh, Moses was educated for 40 years in the language of the Egyptians. And the writings of the Egyptians, which was what? Hieroglyphics. But we find Moses writing the Bible not in hieroglyphics. We find Moses writing the Bible in something called Hebrew. And by the way, who was the first Hebrew? Do you know? Mentioned in the Bible. Hmm? Abraham. Abraham is the first person mentioned as a Hebrew. All right? And the Hebrew language has only 22 letters. How many? 22 letters in the alphabet. And so, rather than having Moses write it in hieroglyphics in that which he was educated, 
God had Moses write it in Hebrew in which he was not educated. What's amazing about it is that if God had written it in, in hieroglyphics, the, the meaning of the Bible would have been lost because it was not until the 1800s that they finally deciphered the hieroglyphics. It was a lost language until they found something that were a set of stone, which has three languages in it. One is hieroglyphics. And uh, then it was deciphered, and it was not until 18-something, I don't remember, the, the, I think 26, when finally the whole matter was opened. So if God had chosen to write the Bible in hieroglyphics, the, the councils would have been lost for centuries and centuries and centuries. But God wrote it in Hebrew, and Hebrew today is basically the same Hebrew that was spoken a long time ago. One amen? Amen. Okay. So now God gives the, the message through uh, written form. So we have the Old Testament, which begins 1,400 years before Christ. And by the way, I should tell you this. The Old Testament, written in, uh, 1,400 uh, years before Christ, in comparison to all the what they call sacred writings, like the writings of Confucius and, and the writings of Muhammad and the writings of, uh, of the uh, uh, Hindus, uh, etc. The oldest writings are the Bible. Confucius uh, and uh, all the other writings came after it. In fact, the writings of Muhammad are the youngest. Did you know that? So the Bible is really the oldest. And so when you read some of the writings of these other people, you discover that they borrowed from the Bible. From where? on the Bible. It's good to know that we have the oldest. What do you say? All right. So God then gave the, the writing to man. So now he has it verbally and now he has it in written form. So if you don't get it verbally, you should get it from the written form. But the problem is that after God gave the written communication and God continued to reveal things to be written down, written down, written down, which kept things current with mankind, man still continued to degenerate. Okay? And the challenge that we have today, folks, in technology is the, 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 the problem that we're allowing something else store for us rather than we store how many of you remember when you were younger that there was no cell phone, no, no, none of this? And if you wanted to remember, if you wanted to call your friends, you had to have all those numbers where? In the mind, all right? Where? In the mind. You wanted to call auntie, you had it in your mind. You wanted to call uncle, you had it in your mind. You had to call Mount Murray, you had it in your mind. You had all these things. And if you could, couldn't keep them all in your mind, you wrote them down someplace, right? But... You, you knew then that it's best to keep them in your mind because sometimes the paper was lost, right? You understand what I'm saying? But recently I had a challenge. I lost my cell phone and I couldn't call my wife. Why? Because I had depended on the cell phone for, for memory storage rather than depending upon this. Boy, and I, yeah, I learned a lesson quick. I thought, no, I'm not going to let this thing be... That which controls my memory. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure I know my wife's cell phone number. So if I lose a cell phone, I can borrow somebody else's cell phone and still call my wife. 
You understand? So it's there. Where is it? It's here, and it's going to stay there. You understand? So, so it's a danger. It's a what? Danger that we allow something else to take the place of that which God has given us. And I'm not against technology. Obviously, I'm using it. But what I'm saying is that we need to use the technology where it's necessary, but we also need to make sure that we have the Word of God where? In our minds. In our minds. Because the time will come when you won't have a Bible, when you won't have anything, whatever you have, you'll have to depend upon that which you put inside. Amen. And the Cubans, I remember some Cubans that I went to help out that had just come over from Cuba when Castro was casting out all the criminals. Among them were many Seventh-day Adventists who had committed the only crime of reading the Bible. But that was a criminal offense. So I remember I found the group. I was looking for them. I found the group among 20, 25,000 Cubans. There were 54 Adventists that I had heard about. I was trying to find them. Finally, I located them. And I asked the question, have you, did you have a Bible? They said, no. So I had a Spanish Bible in my car. So I said to my wife, honey, I found them. And so I got that Bible and, and lifted it up above the fence because they were inside this uh, Fort Chaffee, which is in uh, Arkansas. And what's interesting is that the oldest man, he was about 84 years old, he burst through the, the group and was the one that leaped up and grabbed the Bible and pressed it to his chest. And as his tears ran down, he just rocked back and forth that Bible that he hadn't seen for 10 years. And I asked him, how did, you, how did you encourage one another? Well, what we did was, because in the church, we had to memorize our Sabbath school memory text, all right? We made sure that we kept on memorizing the Bible. So when we were thrown in prison, they could take the Bible from us, but we had it up here. And then we would share it with one another. Do you understand what I'm saying? All right, so anyway, written communications. And God gives it to man. God gives the Old Testament, and what else? The New Testament through his prophets. Through what? And now we're introduced to a system that God established. He established a system called prophetic gift. What is it called? Prophetic gift. And most of the time, when we talk about the spirit of prophecy, we may be in our minds referring to Ellen White's writing, but the word spirit of prophecy has to do with the spirit that guides the prophets. What is it? Spirit that guides the prophets, okay? So it's a spirit that gives the prophets the counsel that man needs. So the spirit of prophecy is that which is given to prophets through the spirit, all right? So I don't believe in Mrs. White. Did you hear what I said? Did you hear what I said? I don't believe in Mrs. White, nor do I believe in Paul, nor do I believe in Peter. I believe in the counsel that God gives through Peter, through Paul, through Mrs. White. You understand what I'm saying? So, my faith is not placed upon the scribes. Because the scribes were channels of communicating to us the counsel of God. So, my, my faith is based on the one who gave the communication through the scribes. That's why we should not call the, the writers of the Bible authors. They weren't authors. They were scribes. The author is who? God. God. Okay, he's the author. Now, we see then that 
God gives divine inspiration. Let's read these two verses of Scripture. Job 32, verse 8. Job 32, verse 8. And uh, what time is it? We have to, I'm trying to hurry up and finish. Job 32, verse 8. All right. Somebody going to read that for me. Job 32, verse 8. But there is a spirit in man, and the inspiration of the Almighty giveth them understanding. Ah. There's a spirit in man, but he what? The inspiration of the Almighty gives them understanding. Okay. So, so, what's that? Yeah, because the actual word breath is from the word rock, the Hebrew, which can mean spirit, wind, air, etc. So, the, the, the inspiration that God gives to man, so that man can understand his counsel. All right. And you know 2 Timothy 3.16, right? What does it say? All scripture is given by what? By inspiration of God. Okay. So, we see then that God gives communication verbally, then he gives it through the written form. So, however, even though God made an effort to communicate his counsel by verbal and by written form, man still got it wrong. And so finally, God had to not only have verbal, written, but now he had to have this visible. The visual then was put into place, Christ. So the prophets wrote what God gave counsel, uh, and the last council before Christ was in Malachi, in the book of Malachi, uh, was written about 400 years before Christ. And what's interesting is that there's nothing that, that we consider to be canonical, which means uh, in harmony with the canon of the Bible, uh, during that intra-testament period. The what period? Intra-testament, in between the two testaments. And I believe th that the reason for that is that man had already has sufficient uh, information to make the right decisions, and given him more information, written information at that time, was not necessary if man would follow the thus saith the Lord. But man did not follow the thus saith the Lord. And so it began to be twisted because you and I know that there's a great controversy. Through all this period, while God has given his counsel, there's an enemy twisting the counsel. Is that true? Yes. Counterfeiting the counsel, doing everything he can to, to um, mislead man into the wrong directions. So, finally then, after the period of 1,500 years, of the writing of the Bible, or should I say 1,400 years, and then finally 100 years for the New Testament, uh, which ended in 96 AD, Christ came. So we have 66 books, and we have 39 Old Testament and 27 New Testament books in the Bible. I guess you knew that, right? Anybody did not know that? Huh? 
Say that again. Uh, I was in an Adventist school, a little elementary school, and the children, they required, recited all of the, they said from Genesis, to, and knew where they were at. Shocked me. Shocked me. I'm like, whoa. They memorized it. I mean, you know, I'm like, wow. You know what's wonderful is that children have all the mechanisms in the brain to learn anything. It's we that hamper the children. Yes. I remember when I was a young kid, uh, how many of you remember that it was not a, a cool thing to speak any other language than English? Any of you remember that time? Yeah. In New York City, in New York City, everybody had, nobody wanted to be an immigrant. And in those days, because my father-in-law was German, and uh, his dad, on purpose, didn't teach him German because it was not safe to speak German in those days because then you would be considered a Nazi. And then the psychologists and psychiatrists began to teach that don't teach kids a different language at the home, otherwise they'll be confused and they won't learn to speak correctly. Okay? That was the counsel. And the, but the, the sad thing is that all of us then only learn to speak Americanized English, right? We call it English, but the British don't, don't agree with us. And so they, uh, the, the problem is then that the idea that you confuse the kids if you speak a different language in the home was contrary to what was happening in Europe. Because in Europe, the kids would grow up with all these languages around them, and it was, it was normal for kids to speak two or three or four languages. Uh, and they learned to speak them when they were four or five, three years old, two years old. You know, uh, When I went to Romania, the, the pastor spoke to his kids in Hungarian. The mom spoke to the kids in German. And then in, in, this, in society, it was uh, Romanian. So those kids, by the time they were five, they could speak fluently Hungarian, German, and Romanian. They weren't confused. And I just ran into one of those kids. Today he's a teacher, uh, 25 years old now, and uh, speaks fluent English. So now he has English, he has German, he has Hungarian, and he has Romanian. And by the way, German and Hungarian are completely different languages. Okay. Huh? I speak Hungarian. You speak Hungarian. Good, but it's completely different than German, right? Yes, okay. So anyway, the truth of the matter is that man initially had the mechanisms, and children still have a lot of mechanisms that we begin to kind of lose. Uh, so if a person doesn't learn languages when he's younger, then it's more difficult to learn when he's older. Is that true? And so consequently, uh, here's what they say. If you speak three languages, you are trilingual. If you speak two languages, you are bilingual. If you speak one language, you're an American. Okay. All right. So anyway, the word finally became what? Flesh. And the, Jesus, then the visible word of God. So now you had the, the verbal. Then you had the written and now, glory to God, you have the visible. If you don't get it straight one way, hopefully you get it straight the second. And if you don't get it straight the second, hopefully you get it straight with the third. So God, out of mercy, provided verbal, written, and visible communication so that all of us could understand what God's will is for our lives. So, you can see then, in tracing the Word of God from the beginning, 
that God is consistent. He's revealing his counsel, revealing his counsel, revealing his counsel in one form or another until finally Jesus comes and reveals his word. Christ then is the medium of communication between heaven and earth. In other words, friends, the reason why you and I have God's counsel is because of Jesus. He is the, the, the connector between heaven and earth. Because of him, you and I are benefited by the counsels of God. Without him, you and I have no way of communicating with heaven. Christ linked heaven and earth in his person so that through him we could still receive the blessings of God's counsel and be benefited by his wonderful counsel. Listen, my dad is the only one among 13 siblings who became a Seventh-day Adventist. The only one that became a Seventh-day Adventist. And all the other siblings died at 60 and 50 and 45, etc. He lived to 99 plus. He almost lived 100 years, uh, just four months of 100 years old. He's the only one that did out of 13 siblings because he's the only one that found the counsels of God and followed it. It makes a difference. So, God's communication then through Christ has been given to us way from the beginning. Uh, the word preached brings conversion. There's power in the word. In fact, there's a statement in Christ's Object Lessons, page 38. COL, page 38, which says, In every promise and every command of the word of God is the power of the very life of God by which the command can be fulfilled and the promise realized. So in every command and every promise of the word of God is the power, the very life of God, by which the command can be fulfilled and the promise realized. So what you hold in your hand is not just another book. It has power within it because it comes from where? From up above. That's why miracles take place when the word of God is preached. I have preached the word of God in many countries. And what people say can be done, happens. I went to France. It's supposed to be a secular place, you know. And they, of all things, they rented the circus hall in Paris. I've never been inside the circus hall before. And so it's kind of strange because it just has this round platform, you understand? And all the sitting is completely all the way around. So if you're speaking to this group, you have your back to that group. So I had to figure out how to be turning around so I spoke to people, you know. So it was a new experience for me. Anyway, we had uh, 900 people attending the meetings every night. And it was one week, one week meeting. And uh, then I, I uh, made an appeal. And the next day, Friday, I asked the pastor if he looked at the decision cards. He said, no. I said, well, how would you know how many people want to get baptized? He said, oh, I, I, we're not used to this. So on Sabbath then, we had 2,500 people in the audience. They moved, they moved it to a different location, uh, to a university. And I said, I, I, uh, I believe the Spirit of God is here. God has been speaking to the people through his word. 
and I know that there'll be people who want to commit their lives to Christ. I'm going to make an appeal. I said, how many people are you planning to baptize? And the youth director of the union said, well, we're planning on baptizing three. I said, three out of all these multitude of people who are coming? He said, yeah, why? I said, well, look, I'm going to make an appeal. What would you do then if you discover that there are people prepared and want to get baptized? Mm -hmm. oh, I don't know. I said, well, go figure it out because I'm going to make an appeal. So I made an appeal. The poor pastor was in the baptistry for four hours. He was, he was dumbfounded. Where was this? In Paris. That's amazing. Okay. So, huh? I don't know how many got baptized. Four hours I just, I just, I just preached, uh, and it was, it was just interesting because later on. There was another young man that was with me who, was, who uh, he was supposed to do a, like a 10-minute thing and then I was supposed to preach. And uh, I met him in Nigeria a, a year later and he was the one chuckling. He said, do you know what happened? Uh, I said, no, I wasn't privy to what was taking place. He said, that, that pastor drove me to my motel room. And as he was driving me to the motel room, he kept on saying, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Okay. Anyway, the word of God is given to us with living power in it so that mankind can experience what is called the divine nature. Where is that found? Do you know? Whereby given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you may become partakers of the divine nature. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through us. All right, where is that found? Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 4. Okay, so what, what purpose God has in giving us his counsel is that mankind can find power to alter that which has been influenced his life. The enemy has continually sought to drain man downward, drag man downward. God is seeking to drag man upward. But that mysterious power is found where? In his word. And if we would see the word of God as a living oracles from heaven, given to us through the verbal, written, and visible communication of heaven, then it will do for us what otherwise it would not do. Because the Bible says, according to your faith, be it unto you. Correct? <coughs> now, in conclusion, the Bible is declared to be the Word of God. Word of God. You can find that in 2 Peter uh, 3, 5, and 1 John 2, 14. And ultimately, the role of the Bible is here. Number one, it sanctifies. It what? It sanctifies. It sanctifies. It is of no private interpretation. Jesus is the main focus. Who is it? Jesus is the main focus. Salvation is found in the Bible. It is for guidance, for doctrine, for correction, for instruction. It has power to penetrate the thoughts. Faith comes by the word. You know what that is, Romans 10, 17. Whereby faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Okay? And it gives us power to resist evil. The word is a light. And the word of God is truth. So if you want to know truth, find it in the Bible. And in today's day, where there's been so much attack on the Bible and so much attack on holy councils, 
we need to realize that our safety lies in our dependence upon a thus saith the word. And what? Thus saith the word. We must base all of our beliefs on the word of God. And what? On the word of God. And so, you can see then that from the beginning to the new beginning, the word acts as a center fire. It brings truth, brings conversion, it brings hope, it brings confidence, it brings direction, and it gives us instruction. So through the word, man is made holy. All right? Let me, let me give it to you in full because I see some of you are trying to take pictures. Right? So can you see what I'm saying? From Eden to where? To Eden. Finally, at last, at last, the communication that God had purpose to begin with will be restored. We will never again have to depend upon the Bible because we will have a face-to-face communion with the Father and with the Son just as mankind had to begin with. Or ultimately, the Bible should take us from here, through here, up to here. So this is the first step and uh, tomorrow we'll do a, a, another demonstration on a different uh, doctrine and then I'm going to give you the third day I'll give you the opportunity to choose a doctrine and I'll trace it for you from Eden to Eden okay let's pray together loving God thank you so much for the time we've had together and studying the word as we continue to dig deeper the next time help us to perceive and understand and rejoice in all that you do for us in Jesus name This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.